Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Posnanski, national columnist for NBC Sports. And with me, as always, Michael Shore, executive producer of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Welcome to part two of our Hall of Fame podcast. Yeah, for the second time in two days, I'd like to personally thank you for having me. <laughs> I didn't feel like yesterday's uh, thank you was really up to the you know standards of your usual. So how did I do today? Did I do okay? Yeah, better, way better today. So uh, no draft today. We are just focusing entirely on uh, whatever the last eighteen people <laughs> in the <laughs> Hall of Fame on the Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, we ended yesterday with a vicious, vicious disagreement on Trevor Hoffman where I feel like I wouldn't vote for him and you feel like you wouldn't vote for him. So yeah. we're now going to go uh, to our next guy on our board, which uh, this is going to be crazy. Uh, yeah. J- Jason Kendall. Whew, here we go. Here we here go. We- um, l- l- I'll, let me start by saying this. He-, he was a good catcher. That's it. That's all I have to say on him, actually. Yeah, that's about all there is to say. Yeah, he's that's all I have to say. Jason Kendall, fine catcher. He's pretty good, yeah. He was actually interesting in the fact that he, like, in his in his younger days, like, he he was fast. So that's kind of interesting, I guess, because catchers are not normally fast. All right. Uh, la- the only other thing I'll add is we'll play this game again. Within $5 million, how much money did Jason Kendall make? So what was yesterday's? Yesterday's was Mike Hampton at $124 million, So Kendall had a 15-year career, maybe? Is that right? Yeah, let me just double check. Looks like 15 seasons. That's right. All right. Uh, $90 million. He made $83 million. Oh, that was pretty close, actually. Pretty close. That's that's a lot of money. $83 million is a lot of money. Well, how much did he get at the end of his career, like from the Kansas City Royals when he was like finished as a player? Here's, I mean, here's the crazy thing is his highest earning years were with the A's. Now I'm sure I'm, but I'm guessing they were splitting some of that money with some other team because that's usually the way they do it, but maybe not. He made 33 million in three years with the A's. Wow, he was a good player. He, he really was a good player. I mean, he, he was, he, you know, he wasn't a great hitter, but you know, he got on base uh, decently. Uh, he had no power, and then he was like a. He was he was one of those guys though. He was you know he was a good. I think he was a good defensive catcher, but he was one of those guys that like teammates swooned about. Like he was he yeah. was he was the version. He was sort of the catcher version uh, of uh, of David Eckstein, where he was like you couldn't get enough people telling you how great Jason Kendall was. Yeah, yeah. Well, All right. so first ballot Hall of Famer. That's what you're saying. First yeah, ballot. I'm saying no. So. Uh, <laughs> After him is Jeff, is Jeff Kent, uh, who a lot of people love as a Hall of Fame candidate. Uh, most home runs for a second baseman, I believe. I, I think he still holds that. With 377. Uh, won an MVP. Very, very good player. To me, not a Hall of Famer. Uh, he was uh, not a great defensive second baseman, to say the least. And kind of put up his numbers at a time when everybody was putting up big numbers. So those those sort of dwarfed his numbers for me. Very, very good player, uh, just a little bit below the line for me. Yeah, I'm uh, exactly in the same place as you are. Um, it also should be noted that his one MVP was won because everybody hated Barry Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> as, as was everybody else's MVPs of that time. <laughs> That's right. Barry Bonds obviously should have won that year. That was 2000. Barry Bonds went crazy in 2000. Um but yeah, he's he's borderline, but he's not. Uh, I don't think he quite gets over the hump. For right. mostly because you're right, he wasn't. He kind of wasn't that great defensively. He didn't do anything besides really hit, and he was a very good hitter. But he kind of he wasn't like that extra amazing all timer kind of a guy. 
Right. I mean, he was he's he's a guy that like if you put him in in the outfield, uh, you know, his numbers are good, but they're not they're not quite Hall of Fame good. So um, anyway, the, but others disagree. There are there are many Jeff Kent fans out there. Um, yeah, it's it's a defensible vote, right? That's what you would say if you if you if you want if you felt passionately. I think you could probably defend a vote for. Jeff I Kent. think you could defend a uh, Jeff Kent vote, absolutely, but not uh, to me on this ballot. It's harder because there are. I mean, you only have ten spots, so right. on this ballot, I think it'd be harder to defend. But yeah, I mean, if somebody puts Jeff Kent in a, in a ballot of ten, I would. I wouldn't say that was a bad. Let me ask you this though: uh, Mustache Hall of Fame first ballot, right? Well, I mean, first of all, that's we call that the Jack Morris Hall of Fame, right. and. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good it's it's not a Keith Hernandez, Jack Morris, Raleigh Fingers mustache. No, it's not. It's not. It's like it's a little it's a little workmanlike as a mustache. <laughs> but I would say first ballot just because of his commitment to the mustache. Right, he's, he always had the mustache. Do you think he ever wanted to like mix it up at all? I don't know. I think he I think he tried it out when he was like nineteen and was like, "Yep, this is my look. <laughs> I'm I'm going with this forever." <laughs> I love. I mean, obviously, we we don't have time to go into my you know our in depth feelings about the mustache. But to me, the mustache is it's such a great thing because it's such a choice. It, I mean, like if you grow a beard, it doesn't have to be a choice. It could be kind of like ah, I've just didn't shave for a while, and then I got too tired, and I just kind of say ah, this is, let's see what this looks like. But you're working the mustache. I mean, the mustache is a full shave other than the mustache part of yourself. So. Yeah, I it's a choice. You're right. It's a choice, and it's a choice you make anew basically every day. Like every day, you have the option to make a different choice. Yes, and decide not to. Right, and you know people are telling you like, try something <laughs> different. But he didn't. He stayed with it, and and uh, and I do respect him. Yeah, I'll I'll give him first ballot. He'll he'll right. he'll get it on first ballot. All right, Mike Lowell. Uh, I'm just going to let you talk all about Mike Lowell. Uh, but I will say the one thing I remember Mike Lowell, who was a very good player, uh, another outstanding uh, player, was when he went to the Red Sox. I don't. You will obviously remember this, but like the first three or four months of his time with the Red Sox, he had like 40 doubles, like in like three months. Like it looked like he was on pace to hit like 90 doubles. Yeah, uh, and. I remember thinking how cool that would be if, like, kind of a, you know, he's he's not even in the borderline Hall of Fame category. He's like a Hall of very good, Hall of good, too very good kind of guy. If that guy owned the doubles record, I just think that would be fantastic. Like, if he just, like, oh, yeah, Mike Lowell, uh, he hit more doubles than anybody ever. I, I thought that would be very cool. And that almost well, happened. He, I mean, not he really. Went, he went to a place... Fenway, which is every year is like the best doubles park right. in the majors. But yeah, I mean, the best thing about him from my point of view is he was a salary dump to the Red Sox. He was a, he was a throw in in the Beckett, Josh Beckett, uh, Hanley Ramirez deal where the, the Marlins just wanted to get out from under his contract, which was sort of onerous. And he had had a terrible year, right? Uh, his last year, he was 30 and he just fell off a cliff or 31, I guess he fell off a cliff. He had eight home runs in 150 games. It wasn't like he, you know, he had a shortened season. So he was like, a, they just dumped him on the Red Sox. And then he was arguably their best. He was one of their, certainly one of their best players in the championship year in 07. And for, th for three straight years was or for really four years. He was just great, like great defensively team leader, great hitter, like an all around, you know, I think he was fifth in the MVP voting in 2007 and he 
deserved to be because he had a phenomenal year. And it was like one of those weird, like, I think they kind of got lucky. I think that, I think Florida was like, you've got to take this guy off our hands. And the Red Sox were like, all right, we want Josh Beckett, so we'll take Mike Lowell. And then they got a really top line player for many years. So, um, you know, not a Hall of Famer, but we'll I'll always love him. One interesting thing about Mike Lowell's career was 2005, as you mentioned, had a terrible year, worst year of his career, like uh, of any, uh, you know, when he when he was a regular player. That was the only year he won the gold glove. <laughs> don't you think that's weird? I mean, don't, like, like it's almost like every manager said, well, he's, he can't hit, but he's still out there. He must be really good defensively now. And it doesn't surprise you because gold gloves are given for things that people did four years ago. You right. know, it's like, like, you know, someone, some manager – Jim Leland is like, I remember a play Mikey Lowell made against us in 99. That was the best play I've ever seen. He deserves a gold glove. Like those awards are such, even by baseball award standards are garbage. So yeah, now they're not, they're not good awards. Yeah. All right. Uh, Let's go on to um, a very interesting one, which is, uh, which is Edgar Martinez. Uh, We did talk a little bit about him yesterday and uh, obviously his big knock is uh, that he's a DH and a relatively short career. So he's got a little bit of both of those things going. But unbelievable hitter. Absolutely unbelievable hitter. And, and there are all sorts of stats to, to show that. Uh, the, the fact he's a 310, 510, guy, there's like nine of them in baseball history. That's 310 batting average, 410 on base percentage, 510 slugging. Uh, was such a good hitter. So underrated in his time, in large part, maybe he's being overshadowed by Griffey, being overshadowed by by various other people. Uh, he was a designated hitter, so there was that part of it. But that part has so followed him into the Hall of Fame voting, and that bugs me in in that, you know, I could see an argument for not voting for Edgar Martinez, especially on a on a stacked ballot like this. For me, it came down to him and Larry Walker for the 10th spot. Uh, on my ballot. So it was very, very close and I could definitely see it. But for people that are just writing off his candidacy because he was a DH, uh, I, I just think they miss out this. We're not talking about a really, really good hitter. We're talking about one of the best hitters in baseball history. And, and it's so overlooked because of the area he played and because of the DH and because of Seattle and because of all these other things. Uh, but I, I, I wish people would see that. I wish people would see just how good a hitter Edgar Martinez was. Yeah, he was amazing. He really was. And it's a huge bummer if, if a person chooses to say that just because he did a perfectly legal job, <laughs> which was a designated hitter, it's not like he cheated anybody. That was the, the American league has had a DH for 40 years and he was a DH and he was the best DH of all time. Um, and that if you, if you hold that against him, I just don't understand. Well, then what's your, what's your qualification? You have to only have played a certain, a certain position. It just doesn't make any sense. He like, his numbers are ridiculous. My favorite one is this. And it's obviously, it's not like a thing that you would bring up when you're talking about the hall of fame, but it is great. And it kind of, to me shows what a great hitter he was in his career against Mariano Rivera. Do you know his numbers against Mariano Rivera? No. He was 11 for 19 against <laughs> Mariano Rivera. I mean, that's insane. He had two home runs. No one ever hit home runs off Rivera. Right. He was 11 for 19 with two home runs and three doubles. His slash line, and obviously it's only 19 at bats, 
is 579 batting average, 652 on base, 1053 slugging, <laughs> 1.705 OPS against Mariano Rivera, a guy because he played for the Mariners, he probably saw him twice a year, maybe? I mean, it just goes to show you what a great hitter he was. It's like he he had a really he had like a perfect approach to hitting. He was a right-handed hitter who took balls the other way with power. It was the, and it, like, that is exactly, that's the only kind of hitter who ever hit Rivera. Lefties were dead and righty pull hitters were dead, but he was a, he was a perfect hitter against Rivera because his approach was so solid and so professional. And it's a, it's a, it's lame. It's lame that he doesn't get more people should, you're right. People should be talking about him. Like this is, this was like a kind of a once in a generation hitter in every direction and and he should be in the hall of fame and there shouldn't be a there shouldn't be any argument against it well I, he was he was a genius as a hitter he really was and and the other element of it is let's say there was no dh let's say he played in the national league well that bat's gonna play so yeah. he'll be a terrible terrible left fielder or third baseman or whatever first baseman and He'll get. He'll be first ballot Hall of Fame because yeah. because at the end of the day, nobody really cares. Nobody cared that Harmon Killebrew was a terrible fielder. It didn't matter because he was a great hitter and he played. So, you know, he he really helped the team by being a great DH because he allowed a better fielder to play in the field. Right. I, I I think look. Hitting is not one thing. Like relief pitching, where you're only pitching in the ninth inning, that's a specialist. Basically, hitting is – that's not a specialist. I mean, that is a – that is the most important part of every offensive player's, uh, you know, game. And yeah. so I, I don't like he's being viewed as a specialist. And I also don't like that he sort of gets pushed in with, well, if you're going to vote for DHs, you you got to consider Harold Baines. You got to – he was way better than anybody. I mean, including, in my opinion, David Ortiz, who I think is a is has a very very strong Hall of Fame case. But when you talk about pure hitting, I don't think there's there's never been a DH, and there have been very very few players. Period, who are as good a hitter as Edgar Martinez. Yeah, in his career, he walked more than he struck out. Yeah, I mean that's amazing. He was a power hitter. He had you know he hit for power. He had great gap power. He had home run power and he walked more than he struck out. And it was like, he did the job of being a DH as well as anyone could ever do it. Yeah. It was fantastic. All right. Um, our next pick which we're both voting for him. Yeah. Uh, our next pick to me is I, we, we said this yesterday, uh, about Jim Edmonds. I think it's the, to me, it's the same thing from a different perspective. Uh, to me, Fred McGriff is the hall of fame line again. Uh, terrific hitter, Terrific, you know. Again, probably would have you know been a DH if it been if he if it been the circumstances have been different. He wasn't a great fielder, um, but very very good hitter, uh, comparable to a lot of great hitters um, of of the era, including Eddie Murray, who obviously went to the Hall of Fame. His career didn't last quite as long, so he didn't get the 500 home runs, he didn't get the 3,000 hits, that kind of thing. Uh, but he but he had a fantastic career, and I think falls for me just short of the hall of fame. Yeah, I agree. It's like, he's, is the line and he'll be in someday. Again, the veterans committee will yeah. put him in today, I would guess, but it, he had this, he was sort of like the, the power hitting. He was like, he was Hank Aaron, like one full level below, like in that he did the same thing every single year, right. every single year, he would have 30 doubles and 30 home runs and a hundred RBI and 80 walks, and he would hit 285, 
and he would have a 500 slugging percentage. And just, he just did it every year. Like his numbers are remarkably consistent every year of his career until the very, very, very end, like his last year, basically. And it's just like there is something to be said for that level of consistency and that level of excellence. He had the same uh, – he, he came seven home runs shy of 500. You kind of wonder if he had maybe hit seven home runs more over his career if he would be – you know, people would – he hit that magic number or whatever. But I, it's just – it's hard to say that he should be in, in the Hall of Fame and that certain other people shouldn't be. He's, he's just right just right on the line. I think he'll get in someday and again – Sort of like Jeff Kent, like totally defensible vote. Like if you want to vote for Fred McGriff, I'm not going to stop you. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Now, now, in your opinion, do the Tom Amansky commercials help the case or hurt the case? Oh, help it. <laughs> Are you kidding? hundred. I mean, maybe the, maybe the number one reason to vote him in is the Tom Amansky commercials. <laughs> so good in those commercials. So, so good. good. And again, another great mustache, by the way. Yeah, Another. in fact, in fact, I'm voting ahead of I'm home voting him ahead of Jeff Kent on the Mustache Hall of Fame. Yeah, you might be right. He, he might be. Yeah, he, his was a little like classier or something. A little classier. Plus, you throw in the incredible acting of the Tom Hemansky commercials, which I could not believe he didn't get like a, a career out of that. Honestly, you know something. Uh, I also he has a special place in my heart because he was drafted by the Yankees. And the there are very few players in history who were ever drafted by the Yankees and then didn't and then either didn't become Yankees who were great or went to another team and then were great for the other team. Like I feel like Jay Buhner is the at one point was the all time leader in home runs for a player who had ever played for the Yankees and then went somewhere else. Like that's Jay Buhner was the ceiling for those guys. And uh, but so just the fact that he didn't hit 493 home runs for the Yankees makes me really happy. One other thing about Fred McGriff that I'm really proud of, to me, Fred McGriff has, without question, the most bizarrely obscure nickname in, I agree. in sports. So weird. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, it's, he was, of course, was called the Crime Dog. Uh, and this because was McGruff the Crime Dog. Right, right. His name's McGriff. It's not McGruff. That's first of all. Second of all, McGruff the Crime Dog was in and of himself such a character of time and place it, nobody could have thought that that was going to like 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 my kids would know who McGruff the crime dog is I mean it was I, it was just of its time and yet even though his name wasn't McGruff they still called him crime dog I, I just find that to be awesome but then remember that Mo Vaughn was called the hit dog for a while I think and it was like is that a parody of Fred McGriff's nickname I think it was maybe <laughs> Yeah. And then like it was so weird. Like Mike Easler was the hitman. At least that makes that makes some sense. But Mo Vaughn, I believe, was was the hit dog, which seemed to be a thing that had come from Fred McGriff being called the crime dog. None of it makes any sense. No. Terrible names. They're terrible and, and so obscure. That's why I love them. So, you know. Um all right, our next pick is is to me a very, very controversial one, and that's Mark McGuire. Um there are Many, many different, you know, problems with Mark McGuire's Hall of Fame case. Obviously, what's keeping him out of the Hall of Fame, and will always keep him out of the Hall of Fame uh, from a from a baseball writer standpoint, is his admitted use of steroids. And he is, I believe, the only one on here to admit using steroids, um, which for some reason that has been used. To, it's like hold, held against him rather than actually that was the admirable thing to do was to admit using. Um, yeah. So that's one. The second thing is that he, of all of the people on here, maybe Sammy Sosa, 
seems to be sort of a creation of of the steroids because he had a period of time in the middle of his career where it looked like he was basically going to fall out of baseball. He was a 200 hitter, and then he sort of reemerged as this incredible power hitter uh, of the likes that the game had never seen before. And it just kind of came out of nowhere in a lot of ways. And and with him, there were always sort of suspicions because he was a, a bodybuilding guy anyway and all of that. Uh, all of that said, I personally, and I did not vote for him this year, uh, but only because he's not the 10, I personally would vote for Mark McGuire because uh, he was such an incredible uh, home run hitter that it it was it was show stopping. It was it was it was something unlike anything anybody, including Barry Bonds, uh, that anybody had ever seen. I mean, it was he was the guy that people would show up an hour and a half early to watch him take batting practice. He was such an incredible show at a time when baseball was really kind of in the dumps. Uh, and I'm not going to say save baseball. Of course, that's not the case. But he did take baseball to a whole different level. Uh, he was an amazing, amazing power hitter. He did it at a time, I do believe, that he took steroids really to stay healthy. Uh, as he said, I, I don't see why he would lie about that. I think that's true. The fact that it made him uh, very strong did not necessarily in and of itself make him a home run hitter. He was he, he became a great hitter uh, at the end of his career. I think it's very borderline, and I certainly get why somebody would not vote for him, but Given an unlimited number of votes, I would vote for Mark McGuire. Yeah, that's sort of how I feel, the unlimited vote thing. I mean, there's some weird statistics about Mark McGuire. He basically did one thing. Right. He, was, he hit home runs. That's all he ever did. Here's the weirdest statistic about Mark McGuire. He played for 16 years. He, had, he played in 1,800 games, 7,600 7, played appearances. He had 252 doubles. Yeah. That's it. That's nothing. Yeah. That like 200 – Mike Lowell had like 150 more doubles than he did. And, and Mark McGuire was a, was a gigantic, enormous power hitter guy. And like that's hard to do. It's hard to only hit 252 doubles when you're as powerful a hitter as Mark McGuire. It almost doesn't make sense. The other crazy thing about him – this is neither here nor there – is he had three sacrifice bunts in his <laughs> That is the weirdest statistic I've ever come across in my life. And what I mean, they all came like in his first couple of years or something. But th- why in the world would Mark McGuire ever be asked to sacrifice bunt? Someone should make a video of those three sacrifice bunts and set it to really sad music, like <laughs> like a Yo-Yo Ma cello sonata or something, because those must have been the saddest at bats that anyone had ever. Seen. He must have been so sad. The crowd must have been so sad. The, um, I can't believe they worked, but I guess they must have if they were recording the sacrifice buns. Anyway, the point is, he did one thing. He hit the most home runs every year for like, you know, whatever it was, five years or something. And if you are a steroid person, then he's out. If you're not, even if you're not, though, I think there's legitimate arguments to say that he doesn't quite make it, even though he had a, you know, he, had, he got 583 home runs. Like he's in the, upper echelon of the home run leaders but that's kind of all he did and so i think in an unlimited vote scenario yes he goes in i don't think that even if even if he had never well i don't know i was gonna say even if he had never taken steroids or admitted to it i'm not sure i would have been like yes absolutely first ballot i think i probably would have given given the extraordinary number of home runs he hit and the way in which he hit them and what he did for the game at that time 
But it's just a very weird career. It's one of the weirdest careers of any kind of top level player, I think. Oh, no question. Well, I mean, he, you know, he walked. I mean, that was that was another yeah. thing he did do. He he walked, so he got on base a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's almost all home runs. You know, my my other favorite of him is was it his last twelve years? I think twelve or thirteen years. Uh, he did not hit a triple. Like, yeah, the 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 entire twelve or thirteen years, he did not hit a triple uh, and hit just a ever diminishing number of doubles. So he basically hit it over the fence or or did not. That was basically it. Yeah. But it was such a show and the home run is such an overwhelming weapon. You know, I mean it's just such a such an yeah. overpowering weapon that uh to me again I wouldn't I wouldn't sit there and like if somebody doesn't vote for Mark McGuire, I'm not gonna argue with them. I, I see their their case very, very well and and certainly get it. I just think that with the home runs and with what you know he sort of the way he affected the game and changed the 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 outcomes of of the way people would go to baseball games, um, I'd give him the vote if 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 given yeah. enough if given yeah, enough I votes. I think I do too. Okay, here's a guy I would definitely vote for, uh, Mike Mussina. Uh, bothers me. Here's another guy that bothers me. He does not get the uh, the respect that he deserves. You know. The the problem is that with pitchers, there's still like this this uh, I don't know what you would call it, but this need for pitchers to fit into a certain box. So they have to be 300 game winners, or they have to be ultra Pedro, Randy Johnson, Sandy Koufax dominant for an ex- for a few years. And obviously, uh, Randy Johnson and Maddox were both of those things. But but. They have to be one or the other, and that's not Mucinas was neither of those. He didn't win three hundred, although he probably would have if he had just decided to stay in the game. Um, and he uh, was never ultra mega dominant. He never won a Cy Young. He probably could have won one or two, but he never did. To me, if you're a great pitcher for as long a period of time as Mike Mucina was a great pitcher, you belong in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's better than most of the uh, Hall of Famers in there now. And uh, I think his numbers have been skewed because of the time he played. Uh, but I think you look at his career as a whole, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Okay, so my deal with Mucina is you have to look at, on this ballot, you have to look at Mucina and Schilling together. Yeah. Because they're they're weirdly similar guys. Um, Schilling was a little more of like a kind of classic, you know, fireballer type guy. But here are the numbers. So Mussina, 3,562 innings. He had a 1.192 whip, which is excellent for a starting pitcher who pitched that long. He had 2,813 strikeouts and 785 walks. He basically didn't walk anybody. He had extraordinary control. He had a very, very, very good strikeout-to-walk-out, strikeout-to-walk ratio for a starting pitcher. He won 270 games, who cares, because wins are stupid, but he pitched for a long time extremely well. Schilling's numbers, 3,261 innings, almost exactly 300 fewer innings, so like a season and a half less than Mucina. He had a 1.137 whip, so a better whip than Mucina. He had 3,116 strikeouts, so 300 more than Mucina. He had 711 walks, so 70 fewer than Mucina. He had the best strikeout-to-walk ratio of any player in the 20th century right. since, since like, 1884. There was some guy when baseball was, a, you know, played and, like, everyone was, like, wearing a tuxedo and the games were 11 innings long. 
and it took seven balls for a walk and six strikes for a strikeout. <laughs> and the crowd was literally standing in the outfield like that actually happened. So Kurt Schilling is the best control pitcher, starting pitcher of the of in baseball history, really. So I think yeah, I vote for Musina, but I think if I vote for Musina, I have to vote for Schilling because then you also add in for Schilling, you also add in the extraordinary runs that he had in multiple postseasons and the kind of like if you care about this stuff, which I care about a little bit, not as much as like people who think Jack Morris should be in because he threw one awesome game once. Um, I think you got to vote for both of them. Like I, I don't see how you can vote for Mucina and not vote for Schilling. And I think I want to vote for Mucina, so I think I'm pulling the trigger on on both of them. Well, I what I do for my ballot is I list them from one to thirty-two, literally in the order that I think they belong as players. And I've got Schilling ahead of Musina, but I have them both comfortably in my 10. You know, right. that to me, I think Schilling was a better pitcher than Musina. I think Schilling is the best pitcher, not in the Hall of Fame, regard, you know, with, with steroids, you know, as a consideration. So not comparing yeah. him to Clemens. Clemens is in his own category. But of the pitchers that, that people would consider, uh, you know, everybody would consider a Hall of Fame like real candidate. He's the best pitcher not in the Hall of Fame. And I I think it's it's you well, we'll get to him in a second, but I think it's pretty shameful how little support he's gotten. Because everything everybody said about Jack Morris is way more true about him. You know, and Jack Morris got seventy two, seventy three percent of the vote. Jack Morris was a, a fantastic pitcher. He was not he was two-thirds the pitcher of, of Kurt Schilling and yeah. half to less than half the pitcher of Kurt Schilling in the bull, in the postseason. So yeah. that to me is a joke. But what, what I think about Mussina is that he's kind of getting lost in this thing because he was not quite as good as Schilling, but he still, when you compare him to basically all of the guys that have been voted in other than the let, you know, the true, like the Maddoxes and the, and the Randy Johnsons. And if that's the standard now, that's the standard now. That's fine, but that's never been the standard. And when you compare them to to Don Sutton and Gaylord Perry and Phil Necro and 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 you know the, going back to to you know all of the pitchers that were selected, Catfish Hunter for crying out loud, um, he's better than those guys, or as good certainly. And and I think he uh, he's getting a raw deal in my opinion. I mean, he only got twenty five percent of the vote last year. I think he's going to get a better percentage this year. Uh, but he's still way, way short. And I think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, Mike Piazza, uh, I think, is going to get in this year. Greatest hitting catcher of all time. Um, I don't know what else there is to say. Yeah, he's he's the guy. He and Bagwell are the two guys, right, who are like the the moral panic of steroids has spilled over onto just like we think you did it. Yeah. And it's it's garbage. Um, and And – there's no, there's certainly no argument against him without that. He is the greatest hitting catcher of all time by a comfortable margin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it was just phenomenal, a phenomenal player and a great story. Not that that matters, but he's a great story. He was drafted in like the 380th round of the draft <laughs> and no one thought he was like a, wasn't it? It was like a favor to personal favor to his father by Tommy Lasorda yeah, by Tommy Lasorda. That's right. And like, and, you know, he he was the, he's the best catcher of all time. He's the best hitting catcher of all time. And if you don't have the best hitting catcher of all time in the Hall of Fame, then what is the point of the Hall of Fame? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and your point is 100% right. It not, it's not close. You know yeah. I mean? I, I mean, if Johnny Bench, 
is the second best or or Yogi Berra. He's, you know, and obviously it was a different era, but what he did, um, you know, with, with average, with power, with, with every, he's, he's the best hitting catcher of all time. By the way, definite first ballot mustache Hall of Fame? Well, I don't know. And there's a, there's a reason why. It's because he occasionally went goatee. He did go goatee. I, you know, I feel like the first ballot guys are guys who are like, it's a mustache and that's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you Because like, goatee is like hedging your bets a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. I, I could see that. Look, this is this is a very tough mustache ballot. <laughs> it really is. There's a glut. It's a glut. Because of these stupid rules where you can only let 10 guys in every year. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely <laughs> Keith Hernandez did not make it first ballot for crying out loud. I know. Ballot. It's crazy. All right. Uh, let's let's go on to Tim Raines, who uh, I think we I think we have discussed the Tim Raines thing in the past. Um, Tim Raines probably hurt most dramatically because he played in the era of Ricky Henderson and and nobody compares to Ricky Henderson. So people miss out on, on Reigns' greatness. Um, I've written about him many, many times, written in comparison between him and, and uh, Tony Gwynn and how they really had, even though their careers are very different in the way what they brought to the game, from a value standpoint, almost exact, they're almost identical. I mean, they reach base almost exactly the same number of times. Uh, Reigns actually reached base more than Tony Gwynn. Uh, while Reigns hit with a little bit more power, Gwynn, I mean, while Gwynn hit with a little more power, Reigns, um, you know, with his stolen bases, uh, I think he's the greatest base stealer in baseball history from a percentage standpoint. So you're dealing with uh, a guy who I think should have gone first ballot. I don't, I don't get why people missed Tim Reigns. And I think part of it is, the, the Ricky Anderson thing. I think part of it is, look, he did have a little bit of the drug issue early in his career. And we know how the BBWAA loves those drug things. Um, yeah. But I think the third thing is that he stretched his career at the end. So a lot of people really saw sort of the diminished Tim Raines on the Yankees and, and all the teams he played with at the end of his career and didn't, you know, fully see the incredible Tim Raines when he was in Montreal um, so I think that's probably part of it. Um, he's running out of time. Th- there is momentum for him, but, uh, it's going to be very, very close. I don't think it's going to be this year. So he's going to have one more year to, to try to get in and it's going to be, it's going to be very, very close. You know, every, first of all, I feel like for this discussion, we should bring in Jonah Carey. Yes. So it's the way that Woody Allen brings in Marshall McLuhan <laughs> in Hall to like explain himself. Um, cause nobody cares about this more than Jonah Carey, but I think the the correct comparison when you're talking about his Hall of Fame case isn't Ricky Henderson because Ricky Henderson was a sort of weird unicorn who uh, like existed in time and space uh, apart from everybody else. The right comparison to me is Lou Brock. So Tim Raines has 818 stolen bases and was caught 146 times. Lou Brock had 938 stolen bases and was caught 307 times. Lou Brock had a 109 OPS plus for his entire career, which is obviously OPS plus is adjusted for the era you play in and the ballparks and everything else. Lou Brock also hit as a slash line 293 batting average, 343 on base, 410 slugging. Tim Raines hit 294, 385, 425. Tim Raines was a better all-around hitter than Lou Brock in every way. But Brock had the stolen base record when he retired, and he got 3,000 hits, so no one questions whether he should be in the Hall of Fame. And that's fine, but but like if you look at Lou Brock's career, it wasn't dissimilar from Tim Raines's. It just went on a little longer, and he had the all-time record when he retired and got three thousand. He limped his way to three thousand hits. 
Ricky Henderson would have to have stolen like 450 more bases without getting caught in order to have stolen bases at the same success rate as Tim Raines, right. which was like 85%. So Tim Raines was the Steph Curry of stealing bases. <laughs> He's the guy who did it the most, like Steph Curry takes threes, and was successful the most often. And it's really sad. Like it, It's sad that people have to jump up and down and yell and scream this much to get the guy into the Hall of Fame. I think you're totally right that people remember the last like seven years when he switched teams every year. I think that actually has a bigger effect maybe than the drug thing. Yeah, I think so. Um, although him being nicknamed Rock probably doesn't help him uh, <laughs> because of his drug problems. But I think it's I think people remember the sort of like broken down guy instead of a guy who played in Montreal when no one was looking and was easily one of the best players in baseball. And if the crazy unicorn of Ricky Henderson hadn't existed, this wouldn't we wouldn't be having this discussion. It, it would be an obvious call. Um, because he's, he, the guy, if you compare him to Lou Brock, he wins in every direction, basically. Yeah. Well, look, Lou Brock was, was, uh, you know, he was a unique player for his time. Uh, obviously had a stolen base record. He also has an incredible world series, uh, you know, history, which, which brought him a lot of, you know, fame and, and, uh, and he had 3000 hits. So, so he was a first ballot guy. I don't think people really had to think much about it because it, it checked enough boxes. I think right. that's the problem with Reigns is that you're right. If, it, if not for Ricky Henderson, we'd be looking at him as the most unique power speed guy in the history of the game or one of them. And, and I think he would have checked boxes. But because Ricky Henderson was so much better than everybody else in so many ways that nobody had ever thought of before – you know, it, he just he just failed in that comparison. It's not fair to him. Uh, I really, really, you know, I mean, Jonah, Jonah and I have had this conversation before. Um, he's such a good person, Tim Raines is. And every year he goes through this thing and, and he, you know, he, he's he's a very modest guy and he's somebody who, uh, you know, hey, if they've ever vote me in, it'd be great and all of that. But he he deserved to go in. And honestly, I remember when Andre Dawson went in a few years ago. And to me, there were a lot of questions about Dawson. And you know, he had very low on base percentage and some of the other things. Uh, nobody pushed harder for Andre Dawson than Tim Raines. And, and Tim Raines would tell people, oh, he was the man. He was way better than me. Uh, he wasn't. Tim Raines was every bit, if not better, certainly as good a player as Andre Dawson in Montreal. But Again, kind of overshadowed by a little bit more of a, a you know a bigger figure. Uh, I hope he gets in. I, I really do. I think he's going to make a a nice leap this year, and then next year he will get in. But it's like I say, it's it's too close for comfort for a guy who should have gone in way a long time ago. Yep. All right, we we've already discussed Kurt Schilling, but I want to just reiterate um, greatest strikeout to walk ratio in baseball history. That's I I don't. That's it. The the story's. Over. I mean, unless unless the guy pitched eighty innings in his career, the story's over. It, it, I don't. You don't need anything else. Like there are only so many things a pitcher could do. One of them is strike people out. The other one is walk people. Maybe has a player. You know, people certainly has a role in home runs allowed. Maybe has a role in 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 how hard the ball gets hit. Although that's a very controversial subject. But. Two of the things that pitchers control, he controlled better than anybody in baseball history. He should have been a first bout Hall of Famer. It's a joke that he's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, I if you just poke around a little bit and you look at some of the pitchers who were considered like the all-time greats or whatever, 
their strikeout to walk ratios are so much worse than him. <laughs> now, it's like I at random, literally while you were talking, I looked up Warren Spawn. Warren Spawn, who pitched for 21 years, had 2,583 strikeouts and 1,434 <laughs> walks. He had twice as many walks as Schilling and like 600 fewer strikeouts. And you, no one in the world would question whether Warren Spahn should be in the Hall of Fame. It's like, of course, Warren Spahn. He won 363 games. He would blah, 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 blah. And I, and I believe he should be in the Hall of Fame. And obviously, he was a different era. Guys didn't strike out as much, whatever. But again, he walked twice as many guys. <laughs> twice as many guys. That's insane. Like, there is really no um, – again, I think this is like – if you can wrap your head around not caring about things like wins – and things like, you know, um, if you really look at, like, the things that a pitcher can control, like you just said, like, how do you argue against Kurt Schilling? you got to – he's got to go in. He's the, he's, the, he's the greatest control pitcher in baseball history, and he was a power pitcher who struck out 3,000 guys. That's amazing. I mean, it's not like he was Jamie Moyer. You know, he, he, was, a, he was a strikeout pitcher who never walked anyone. And how can we listen for years and years to this Jack Morris Game 7 bit – and not talk about that. Kurchilling had like five of those in his career. Yeah, I mean, it, really did. it's it's ridiculous. I mean, I, it's I don't I, I do think with him it is purely personality driven, which really yeah. bothers me. Um, I I think people and you know and and the low win total, relatively low win total. Yeah. Um, those two no, things. His, yeah, his per his his like personal life is a little goofy. He's a little bit of a goofball. He gets into like Twitter flame wars with people about ridiculous things, but he did have, he was like 11 and two in the postseason and had an insane, you know, strikeout to walk ratio an insane whip. He pitched in those big, he pitched in game sevens. He pitched in elimination games. He always won them. <laughs> he always pitched brilliantly. He had the bloody sock game. I mean, Jack Morris pitched and like an unbelievable, Game seven against a terrible hitting team <laughs> and pitched for 10 innings and his team won. And, but like also, by the way, like he had terrible games in the postseason. He got lit up in the postseason. His postseason ERA was close to four. You know, he, he, he was not, he didn't keep, he had 64 strikeouts and 32 walks in 92 innings in the postseason. He had a one, two, four, five whip in the postseason. He was okay. He was a pretty good pitcher in that limited size, but all anyone remembers is that one game. And it's like, it's, it's crazy that he got as far as he did in the chilling hasn't gotten a lot farther. In yeah. My opinion. I, I, I really don't get it. I, in, in many ways, he is my, my ultimate cause. I mean, obviously Tim Raines is, is a very big cause. Mike Bucin is a very big cause, but in many ways, Kurt Schilling is cause I, he's the one I just don't get at all. I, I and I, it really would bother me if the reason that people are keeping him out is because of his personality or because they don't agree with his politics or whatever. That's, that's just not what it should be about. And, and, and so that, that really bugs me. Um, all right, we're getting close here. We, uh, we got Gary Sheffield next and, uh, you know, Gary Sheffield was one of the most, uh, fun hitters to watch because he had that crazy, huge, windy thing with his bat that he would do before the pitch came. And then he swung and he never missed ever, like ever in his entire career. So uh, that was very, very cool. He was a great, great hitter. The thing that's interesting about his hall of fame case is his case is hurt dramatically because by war, by wins above replacement, he was 
awful defensively. I mean, not not like just bad, like like Dave Kingman bad, like like minus twenty five wins or something like that. I mean, just an absolutely atrocious defensive left fielder. And I actually spent some time uh, before I went with my vote. I I went to Tom Tango to kind of get him to run me through the defensive numbers of why. He he's he's listed as such a bad defensive left fielder, and he showed me the numbers, and he's right. They add up. He was a terrible, terrible left fielder, and there was no reason for it because he was a great athlete, and he was super baseball smart, and and he just either chose to be a terrible left fielder or he just didn't care enough about it. But that's what hurts him more than anything. I mean, if 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 his WAR was zero defensively, just he was just an average left fielder, his WAR would be so good it would be very very hard to for anybody to ignore him as a Hall of Fame candidate. But because his defensive WAR is so bad, his overall WAR is like eh, sixty or whatever, right around sixty, which is borderline. And and you know it's it's basically what what like Jim Edmonds is. So that it just knocks him down tremendously. And I don't know if that's right, but I, I think uh, he's below he's below the line for me, in large part because of his bad defense. Yeah, when he came up, he was a shortstop, and then he played at shortstop, and they're like, "Oh no, 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 <laughs> we, we can't have this. We'll play third base." And so he played third base for a while, and they're like, eh, "Okay, uh, tr- go to right. Just go into right field. Oh, go to go to left field. Go to left field. Oh, go, is there another position? <laughs> like he finally got to the Yankees." Uh, you know, he get to the American League late in his career, and they DH'd him a lot because that is absolutely what his correct position <laughs> should have been. Um, and if I wonder if he had played as a DH his entire career, his numbers would certainly have been better, I would imagine, than Edgar Martinez's. He hit for more power than, than Edgar, and he was so terrifying and, and such a great hitter. I wonder if he would be the first DH to ever get in because that after the um, famous A-Rod slapping the ball out of Bronson Arroyo's glove in the 2004 ALCS when it looked like the Yankees had tied the game and A-Rod was standing on second, and then they called A-Rod out and sent Jeter all the way back to first. <laughs> Sheffield was the next hitter, and I was like, oh, he's just going to hit a home run because every time Gary Sheffield came up against the Red Sox or anyone, he hit a home run. And Bronson Arroyo was pitching on like zero days rest and was flipping like – 72 mile an hour sliders and he throws one if you I remember this so clearly he throws a little dink rinky dink slider that it was like in a video game if you aimed it right in the like thigh high down the center of the plate that's where the ball went and when he let the pitch go I I my heart jumped into my throat because I was like the game is over now Gary Sheffield is in the one second it took to get to the plate I was like this game is over and he fouled it straight back. And I don't know why that was the one time he didn't hit a 500-foot <laughs> home run on a pitch like that. But I'm happy. And he ended up fouling out, I believe, or, or hitting a pop-up. But he was the scariest hitter. By, it, almost in, you know, people talk, used to talk about that with Jim Rice. Of like That was Jim Rice's Hall of Fame case was he was the most feared hitter, in quotation marks. Yeah. Ray Sheffield was that guy, at least for me and for, I think for a lot of pitchers. Because he was so menacing when he was at the plate. And he had crazy... He hit the ball where he would have crazy backspin on it. Do you remember that? And it oh, would like yeah. it was like the ball would fly forever and ever and ever. And I remember like a physicist talking about how like the crazy backspin backspin that he put on the ball caused the ball to soar farther. I don't know if that's true, but it sure seemed like it was. And he was he was absolutely the scariest, most menacing hitter 
I was so sure every time he came up, every time I saw him hit, I thought he was going to hit a home run. And I think if he weren't an abomination defensively, I think you're right. I think he's in. I, as it is, he's borderline. He's sort of the line for me. If you want to vote for him, again, I can see it. I really can. I think he'll get in someday. Maybe this is another Veterans Committee situation. But he played for a really long time, and he played really well for a really long time. You know, he was still he still had an 800-something OPS in his, when he was 40. Like, he was still a really, really good hitter very late in his career. So I think he gets in someday, but I'm not, I wouldn't vote for him now. Yeah, I, I, he's, he's super close. And he, look, he has 500 home runs. I mean, they used to be an automatic. Um, right. It's funny you should say that about feared thing. We used to argue who was the most feared hitter. Is it Gary Sheffield in, in, in the 90s? Gary Sheffield with the incredibly menacing back, you know, the bat going back and forth wildly and him with the those big eyes. Or was it uh, Jeff Bagwell? who was like totally still just yeah. like sort of like Zen like kind of, you know, Bruce Lee, like just, I'm just going to, when the ball comes, I'm just going to unleash in this, this incredibly violent way. Um, totally different, but both utterly terrifying. Yeah. Jeff Bagwell, his feet were so far apart. He was almost sitting on the ground. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> it's, it's so weird. And I remember him saying like, I would don't teach your kids to hit like me because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> But he was, oh, I mean, it was, you know, and it was so quick. And, and that was the way they sweat. I love those two guys. They, you know, they they were, they were two of the great players, but they were both, to me, they were the yin and yang of baseball in the nineties and, and very, very cool players. All right. Yeah. Um, Lee Smith is our next pick. And I, I don't really know what to say about Lee Smith. I mean, Lee Smith falls below my, my line. I, I feel I feel bad in in this sense. There was a time where the BBWAA decided they were going to vote in sort of the best relievers of the '80s and '70s and '90s. So, in in pretty quick succession, Raleigh Fingers went in, and Goose Gossage went in, and Bruce Souter went in, and Lee Smith was as good as any of those guys. I mean, maybe Gossage uh, has a little bit better, but I think Lee Smith was better than Bruce Souter, and I think he was better over an extended period of career uh, than Raleigh Fingers, uh, but he missed he missed that 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 train, and now the train is kind of gone. And you know he's four hundred and ninety or whatever saves doesn't seem like so like at the time it was it was the league your uh, record. Uh, now it's a hundred and well four hundred seventy eight saves I guess. Now it's a hundred and thirty short of the record or whatever, um, and he kind of missed that train. And I feel bad because. If that was the standard at the time, I wouldn't have voted. I did vote for Gossage. I wouldn't have voted for Suter, and I wouldn't have voted for Fingers. But if that was the standard, then he should have gotten in because he was as good a pitcher as those guys. Now the standard to me has become Mariano Rivera, and at that standard, he has no chance. So, you know, I think is he a Hall of Famer? It's like it depends on what you how you view the closer situation. I've already made my personal closer situation. Uh, I've made that fairly clear. But I do think that he probably should have gone into the Hall of Fame during that time period when those guys were going in. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I see what you mean. It's just that, like, those, in my opinion, were mistakes. And yeah. I don't think you should sure. compound mistakes with other mistakes. I mean, if you actually look at, you know, closers, basically, there's one stat you should look at, which is whip, right? It's like, how many base runners do you allow? They're coming into a game that's usually, I mean, in order to get a save, it has to be within three runs. It's usually one or two. Um and so your job is very simply, it's the same job as every pitcher, but it's heightened and it's the, the definition of your job is don't let anybody on base. And 
he just didn't, he wasn't very good. Like he walked way too many guys and he gave up too many hits and he gave up too many home runs, frankly, uh, many years. Like, you know, pitcher ERAs or closer ERAs are also obviously like widely variable, but you regularly had ERAs in the threes and fours and stuff, which you really shouldn't have if you're a top level closer because you, you know, you, you're not supposed to let guys hit home runs. And he, you know, he, he, you know, overall, he had a 125 whip, which isn't like the most amazing thing. I mean, he had many very good years, but he just doesn't, I don't think that he was the best of his breed um, in, in terms of, you know, being closer. So I, I just, I, I think it was a mistake to let Bruce Suter in. Uh, and I, I feel like it would be a mistake to let him in. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying there was a time period where that was being valued and, and yeah. wrongly so. But, it, you know, sort of the same way. Look, I think Catfish Hunter was a mistake uh, by the BBWA. But Louis Tiant was a better pitcher and he just missed that train. So, right. you know, it, to me, the timing's interesting. One thing that is interesting about, about uh, Suter, I mean, about uh, Lee Smith, rather, is his fielding independent pitching uh, number is actually lower than Trevor Hoffman's, which I I found that to be quite interesting. And obviously he pitched in a different era and, and all of that, but by the same token, he pitched most of his career in hitters parks while Trevor Hoffman, let's be honest, pitched in a, an absolute hitters nightmare um, right. for his entire career. So, you know, he had a 2.93 uh, FIP and, uh, that's that's better than uh, Hoffman. Yeah. So he was a good pitcher. He was a very very good pitcher. He's yeah, not a he, Hall of Famer for me, uh, but I could see uh, the case that he would have gotten in uh, back when they were voting in guys like that. Yeah, I see that. All right, our next guy, Sammy Sosa, who um, you know you, we talked about McGuire and how all McGuire did was really hit home runs. Um, Sosa's case is home runs early in his career. That wasn't who he was. He was a, a speed guy uh, who played good defense, uh, but he wasn't that good a player when he did that stuff. Uh, it's when he started hitting home runs that he became uh, a massive, massive player. Uh, there obviously are some steroid questions about him as well, uh, but for a period of time, about four or five years, he hit more home runs than anybody in the history of baseball. Uh, he's the only guy to hit 60 homers three times, uh, he was an absolute masher, and uh, he's super duper close as a player for me. But he falls a little bit below the line for me. One, he didn't really get on base, which was a big thing. Two, uh, he he hit a lot of home runs, but that's kind of in his in his sort of big years. That's more or less what he did was hit home runs, uh, which is you know I I said that about McGuire, but. Even more than McGuire. I mean, McGuire at least, you know, for the most part got on base. And and obviously he did get on base when he started getting intentionally walked all the time. Uh, but for the most part, he really did not get on base uh very much. And uh and he turned into a kind of a kind of a dreadful outfielder for the last like ten years of his career, after being a very good one uh for the first few years of his career. So uh as he changed into a player, he became a player that became a lot bigger home run guy and all that, but I think what he was as an early player, what he was as a late player, you added up. To me, it falls a little short of the Hall of Fame. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I can see that argument. I mean, the the change in the kind of player he was is so dramatic. Oh I mean, it, it really it's 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 really remarkable. And the you know he had he had four hundred total bases twice, which is an insane, insane. thing to do. Um, 
but you know, when he was like, I don't know when he was younger, he had like 200 total bases. <laughs> you know, it's, it is so, it's so night and day. I, the, the thing that hurts him in relation to the steroid thing is that it seems like, Oh wow. You can almost, you can look at his history and say like, Oh, that's the day he started taking steroids. <laughs> Cause he just became a completely different guy. Um, I still think, and maybe this is now an overcorrection to the to the steroid panic. I think I would vote him in. I'm uh, going on the sort of story of baseball sure. museum argument. I think I think I would vote for him. I can absolutely see the argument that he, you know, um, that he that he's another sort of borderline guy because that you're right. He didn't he didn't walk enough. He started walking a lot because people started intentionally walking him. Um, you know, he in, intentionally walked 37 times one year. Um, so people started pitching around him and he ended up being a guy who walked over a hundred times a couple of years in a row. But, but he did like, he just wasn't, he wasn't sort of like an all around guy. He, he, he was another Mark McGuire kind of guy. And I, I said Mark McGuire that I would vote for McGuire. So I think I got to vote for Sosa too. Yeah. I think McGuire to me, the, the line for me is somewhere in between there. Um, and obviously it's, it's you know they're they're super close and and maybe I'm splitting hairs and maybe you know at the end of the day I didn't vote for either of them but maybe maybe I I don't think that there should be but to me that 344 on base per lifetime on base percentage is just not for a slugger uh, who hit that many home runs that's just not very good at all yeah and yeah. and you know look I I think you have to you have to look at the numbers based on the time period they played based on the ballpark where he played. Um, all of those things, it's it's super close. Um, I don't think he's going to get any support. I mean, I think he has a he has a chance of falling off the ballot, to be honest. Um, but you know, it's look the guy hit six hundred and nine home runs, so it's it's awfully tough to say he's not a Hall of Famer. But I, for me, uh, he, he falls, and and I felt the same way about Palmero. It's like just when you when you when you adjust for the period adjust for steroids adjust for whatever you want to adjust for he falls a little short for me yeah i mean the this the the number there would be ops plus and his is 128 which is pretty middling for like a hall of fame type guy yeah and Especially it's that's what you're counting on yeah exactly and it's cuz he cuz he didn't walk enough yeah well that's you know that's uh I think we we both can agree. We don't even need to talk about Mike Sweeney, obviously Hall of Famer, yeah, and about. and one of the all time great guys and one of my favorite people that I've had the opportunity to cover. Uh, came up as a catcher, and and I use that that term very very loosely. And they um, obviously moved him as quickly as they could to another position, which ended up being DH. But for a time, they tried him at first base, which led to one of my favorite all-time moments in baseball that I've been covering. He was, he was such a, Mike is, Mike's a great guy. And he's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. So we were out there at spring training and he was just, they were hitting ground ball after ground ball after ground ball to him at first base. And, and he's just in the dirt, playing his guts out, trying to play it. And balls are bouncing off his head, off his shoulder. I mean, it's, it's hard to watch. And a coach walks up to me and he says, Mike Sweeney, that guy would rather face Nolan Ryan on Christmas Day in a phone booth in the dark than field ground balls in first base. And I always thought it was the in the dark that to me was like, that's what twisted that just enough. 
Um, very good player, five-time, four, four or five-time All-Star for the Royals. Probably would have been a one- or two-time All-Star for another team, but had a period of time where he was a fantastic hitter. Yeah, he was great. He had his, like, 25 to 29 years were, were really top level. Yeah, he was um, a good hitter. Quite, he had 144 RBIs one year. Yeah, 2000, that was the Johnny Damon uh, led the league in run scored, I believe. That was... That they, they, the Royals had this great delusion in 2000 because they finished. I think they led the league in hitting, and and they were like third or fourth in runs scored. And there was this sense like, hey, they're really good. But what the reality was was they played in a ballpark that was ridiculous because they had brought the fences in like 15 feet, so balls were just flying out constantly. And so they had this delusion. They had a good offensive team. And uh, 2001, they lost 100 games, and the delusions were all gone. But um, <laughs> but Mike Sweeney was a terrific player. He was a terrific player. Um, not a Hall of Famer. So no. uh, let's go to Alan Trammell, who is in his 15th and final year on the ballot. Um, I've long been a Trammell guy. I think Trammell belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think Trammell is basically – uh, Barry Larkin, I think they're they're very very similar in many many ways. Uh, the thing I would say about Trammell, and and I I get people who think he's he's just a little short. I mean the career was was a little short. He got he got injured and and all of that. To me, the thing that bugs me is he absolutely positively should have been the MVP in 1987, uh, the year George Bell won the MVP. Um, he was better than George Bell in virtually every way other than the obvious home run RBI thing that people were looking at then. He played, obviously, a brilliant shortstop while George Bell was a, was a not very good outfielder. And Detroit won. You know, back then, that that was a big thing, like who played on the winning team. Like yeah. Detroit won. Detroit beat Toronto out for the championship. So I don't know how Trammell didn't win the MVP. I would love to see what his Hall of Fame trajectory would have been had he won the MVP? Because to me, that seems like it's like Trammell never. We we talked before about checking boxes. It's like Trammell just never quite checked the boxes for the voters. And I think if he'd won an MVP, it would have at least the way it did for Larkin put it in people's minds. Oh, this guy was once a really really good player and might have gotten people to look a little more closely at him. I did vote for him. Um, I have voted for him every year I could that I could get him into the ten. I think he's a Hall of Famer. And uh, I think he's a guy that will get elected for sure uh, by a veterans committee someday. Um, the only thing I would say about the 87 MVP vote is that actually the person who should have won is Wade Boggs. Well, yeah, well, that's that's <laughs> but he was not consideration. I know. But that's what's crazy about how it's it's good. It's how far we've come. Yeah. Is that George Bell now with those numbers and they were he had a great year at 47 home runs, 134 RBIs, 957 OPS. But Wade Boggs out OPS George Bell yes, significantly. And in, you know, he was worth, uh, according to baseball reference, three more wins to his team than George Bell was. So was Trammell, by the way. Trammell was 8.2 and Wade Boggs was 8.3 based on baseball reference. But by the way, also like Paul Molitor was worth an extra win over George Bell. There were so many people who were better than George Bell. Um, anyway, I, I, Trammell has always been, do you talk about borderline guys? For me, it's always been Trammell. Like he's the guy that I just can't, I can't be happy either way. And I, again, I, I feel like you vote for him. That's great. Like they vote for him. He, I would have no problem with him being in. He only lost out on that. He basically lost out on that MVP vote by like a vote or one or two first place votes right. go his way and he wins. It was really close. Um, 
and and you might be right. Like if he had been the MVP on a team that you know that that won out, maybe that would have helped. But um, I, I don't know. I I I have him off the ballot, but if he were on the ballot, I wouldn't blink. Yeah, I I think it's close. I you know, but we're we're dealing with with close people. And look, and there are people that have the in their mind the small Hall of Fame, and Alan Trammell's nowhere near it for them. Uh, and I get that, but that's not the reality. I think you look at the shortstops in the Hall of Fame, um, and he was as good or better than the than the average shortstop in the Hall of Fame. So that to me makes him a Hall of Famer. Um, How close was he last time? Not close at all. Twenty twenty five percent. So yeah, he's not gonna he's not gonna get in. But um, hopefully he'll get a little surge. And like I said, hopefully there's some momentum. And and maybe if there's some momentum for him, there'll be you know people will take another look at Lou Whitaker. Um, who who fell off the ballot after their, uh, you know, very early, and and that wasn't right either. And he was one of the great second basemen, and and uh, got completely overlooked. So something about that Tigers team in the in the eighties, uh, it always it always has amused me that the guy that became the cause for that eighties Tigers team that was very good in eighty four, winning it, and eighty seven, you know, going to the championship series, um has been Jack Morris. I mean, that, that to me is, <laughs> yeah. is striking, you know, uh, when there's so many better choices, I think. Um, all right, we're down to three more. Not a whole lot to say about Billy Wagner, except for that I think you can make a very, very strong argument um, that Billy Wagner was a better pitcher than Trevor Hoffman. Um, I think all of his numbers, other than the fact he didn't pitch quite as many innings, are better than, than uh, Trevor Hoffman. He retired... Uh, when he was still very much on the top of his game and did not pick up the cheapy, you know, 150 extra saves or, you know, 120 extra saves that he might have gotten if he'd stuck around for four more years, three or four more years. Um, dominant, dominant pitcher, maybe threw as hard as anybody uh, in the history of the game. Left-handed, crusher, um, you know, but I stand with him the way I stand with 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 Hoffman, which is, as great a pitcher as he was, um, there are a lot of guys like him. And and I think if you're going to be a, in the Hall of Fame as a closer, you've got to stand out tremendously from the pack. And I, I don't think he quite does. Yeah, it's real close, though. He is, I think he is better than Hoffman overall. He had yeah. a 4 one strikeout-to-walk ratio. He basically didn't walk anybody, never allowed home runs. He His last year in Atlanta was one of his best years. Right. He had a .86 whip, which by you know is, would be like his third or fourth best year, um, and he had a, like a 143 ERA. No one hit him. He had, he gave up 38 hits in 70 innings, and you know he certainly could have kept going. I mean, I think unless he was badly injured or something, and I don't remember. But yeah, he he left when he was still great, and he was great pretty much every year. That he didn't really have a terrible year. He had a couple. He had one kind of terrible year. He had a terrible year in Houston. Um, but uh, every other year was great, and most of those years were better or as good, at least as Hoffman's best years. So I think um, you know, if I were voting for, if I, I think you're right. There's a there are a lot of guys like him. At least there are now, and so it's hard to go back and say, well, you know, this unless unless you're really into the idea of closers being in the Hall of Fame, I don't think you can vote for him. Right. I think that's that, and that's where it comes down to is is if you're person that's going, hey, look, I'm going to view closers exactly the way you start, look at starters, and, you know, the top ones should go in, well, then, you know, I would vote Wagner before I'd vote Hoffman, honestly. Uh, yeah. But to me, they're both a little short, and uh, and uh, Wagner is going to fall 
significantly short of Hoffman because of the saves thing, which is yeah. which to me is is ludicrous. So the other cool thing about him is that he was like he was listed at five ten, but I swear he was five six. Oh, he was yeah. like, and it was cool to see a guy. It was like watching Pedro. It was like a, a guy that short throwing that hard was really cool. It's really cool. I mean, he was he was the you know true hundred mile an hour guy. So you know, yeah. you're watching him throw 100, 102, and you're right, he was tiny. Uh, and left-handed. I mean, there was everything. He was a cool pitcher to watch. He was, he was yeah. actually a lot of fun. All right, loud to our last two. Uh, to me, the toughest one on the ballot for me uh, year after year now is Larry Walker. Um, I did not vote for him. He was my 11th pick this year, and I chose Pedro, I chose uh, Edgar Martinez over him. Uh, but super close. It's so it's it's almost impossible to figure out how good Larry Walker was because. He spent the prime years of his career in Colorado where he put up Mickey Mouse numbers. I mean, they're just absurd. And yeah. if you look at the splits between his home and road, they're even more absurd. I mean, he, the guy would routinely hit 410 at home uh, and slug 750 and then on the road would hit like 290 and, and you know slug 480. So it's impossible to really define him. He's one of the most unique players in baseball history anyway – you know, as a hockey guy who just ended up playing baseball. and But the thing that I keep coming back to with him is there are so few players in baseball history who did everything well, literally everything well. And Larry Walker is one of those guys. I mean, he was a great hitter. He hit for power, had a bazooka for an arm. He was a great defender. He was a fantastic base runner, absolutely fantastic base runner. Um, so he did everything. For, for, you know, a, a, an extended period of time. The career was was a little short, but he did everything so well. You don't want to overcredit him for what he did in Colorado, but at the same time, you don't want to undercredit him. He did put up those numbers. There's, there's not a whole lot else. He was already a great player by the time he got to Colorado. He had a fantastic year in Montreal before he left. Um, so he's so tough, and I have him right on my border, um, and uh, if I'd had if I'd had eleven this year, I would have voted for him. So he's he's a guy I would vote for and will vote for in the future. Uh, but this year he fell one uh, spot short for me. Yeah, he's my exactly right. He's my number eleven. Yeah. Like if there, I and it, it, it he doesn't he didn't check the dumb boxes that people want you to check. Like he didn't have five hundred. He only had three hundred and eighty three home runs, and you know he didn't have a he wasn't the like best guy uh, he wasn't the all-time greatest or one of the 10 greatest in any one thing he was just one of the like 30 greatest in everything everything yeah <laughs> yeah and his i mean he had a career on base percentage of 400 which is very good and he had a career ops of 965 which is very good and ops plus which takes course field into account he's 141 which is very good like yeah. there's no there's the it's hard you do like discount him because of Colorado, and it's like there's sort of nothing he can do about that. He he did get hurt a lot. That was one thing. He had a, a number of sort of shortened years, um, you know, just various injuries and stuff piling up. That's why but, he's 11. To me, that's why he's 11 for me is because yeah. is because he was brittle. Um, he, he only played 150 games, if I'm not mistaken, I think only one time. And, yeah. um, you know, that's – it, showing up is a very, very big part of, of all yeah. of this. So, you know, that's what that's what put him below Edgar for me, even though Edgar also had a short career. Um, but Edgar was a little more 
you know, just a little bit more. It was, it was, it's so close. It's so close between those two guys. And again, if you have a small hall, none of these are, are things that you're even thinking about, right? I mean, these guys are all below the line for you. But for me, that is so where my line is, is right. You know, 11 for me was, was, uh, uh, Larry Walker. 12 for me was McGuire. Uh, you know, then there's Sheffield and Sosa and, and, and Edmonds are all kind of in one big little pile, uh, that are just below the line for me. So all these guys were very, very similar players. And I wouldn't argue with you if you told me that, that, you know, Edmonds was better than McGuire or, or, you know, they're all so close. It's impossible to say. Um, but Walker, that was the, that was the thing was the one thing you'd say about him is that he, he didn't stay healthy enough. Yeah. All right. Well, now it's the last one, and and this is and this is probably going to take another hour. Um, yeah. What what is there to say about Randy Wynn? <sighs> I mean, where do you start? <laughs> yeah, I, I I think there's. I don't know where you start. Uh, Randy Wynn was a um, Randy Wynn was a perfectly fine player. I, I Randy Wynn is not because uh, I listed him one to thirty two and. Randy Wynn, because of the the uh, the way he built up his career, I mean, he got seventeen hundred games or so uh, in there, and and you know had some speed and some power and 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 played some some pretty good defense uh, at times and all of that. Because of that, he is not the worst player on this ballot, in my opinion, but he's the most nondescript player on this ballot, and and that's I don't think he ever had like a great year. Like 2002 was probably his closest to, to a great year, but it was not a great year. It was, it was fine. It was for Tampa Bay. Nobody cared. Um, so he's kind of nondescript. I'm glad he's on the ballot. It was a nice career, but, uh, honestly, you know, it's, it's like, there are certain people on this ballot that are like, look, they're not going to go to the hall of fame. Maybe it's an honor to be on the ballot, but is it really an honor to get zero votes? Um, I, I don't think it is, and and he's probably a zero vote guy. Here's here's what I'll say about Randy Wynn. <clears throat> In the dream that you have when you're a kid of being a major league baseball player, you your dream is like you're the best player on your team, and you come up in the bottom of the ninth in the seventh game of the World Series, and your team's down by three, and the bases are loaded, and you hit a home run, and you win the World Series. Right? That's the dream. That's the dream. But a realistic dream for every kid should be that they get Randy Wynn's career. <laughs> You know, and, and here's why. So Randy Wynn, he, first of all, he played for 13 seasons. Right. In those 13 seasons, he got to play. He was drafted by the Marlins, I think, but he played for Tampa Bay, so that's not great. Then he got to play in Seattle, San Francisco, the Yankees, and St. Louis. He got to play in four great cities, great baseball cities. He, made, he got to play in an all-star game. He was an all-star one year. He, had, he hit more than 100 home runs, so more than 100 times he had that feeling of hitting a home run True. and rounding bases and whatever. He also, uh, he, he, uh, like, if you look at his, like, leaders, he finished in the top 10 at least once in batting average, in games played, in uh, doubles. He finished in the top 10 twice in hits. He finished fourth in hits in 2008. He, he, he finished in the top 10 in stolen bases three times. He finished in the top 10 in... Uh, in a, in like stolen base efficiency a bunch of times he he like had he had those like these moments that are like great moments he also made forty two million dollars that's that's not bad and 
And like if you look at on um, baseball reference, it has that similarity score thing of like who are you most similar to? The guys he's most similar to are like Gary Maddox, Mark Kotze, Nick Markakis, Shannon Stewart, Kurt Flood. It's like all guys that had like really good careers. It's like he had a really good career. Yeah. He's nowhere close and he's not in the ballpark of being a Hall of Famer. But if I – like the, the realistic – version of the absurd dream where you're a baseball player is for me is I'm Randy Wynn and I get to have Randy Wynn's career and play in a bunch of great cities and like do well at my job and have people want me to come play for them and play in a bunch of great baseball cities and great baseball stadiums and and have a couple things and I can hang my hat on and have a bunch of pictures from the 2002 All-Star game of me standing near Alex Rodriguez that's that's like that's like that's kind of a great kind of a great career that he had that is a great career i i would want the david Eckstein career first of all i i feel like that's more attainable like randy Wynn is a good is a really good athlete like i'm not a good athlete so you know i feel that's a little more attainable secondly there's also you get the bonus because Eckstein, david Eckstein had all of those things plus he got to play in a world series plus everybody thought he was better than he was so he like totally was like a fan favorite and all that so it's like it's like both of those guys had very enviable careers, but you know, in some ways, Randy Wynn kind of got the short end of the David Eckstein stick. It's like, he didn't quite get to be David Eckstein. Here's the other yeah. question I have. Well, that's, that's the glass half empty version of the kind of nice <laughs> thing that I'm trying to say. About no, no, no. It, they're both, they're both incredibly enviable careers. And by the way, I'm looking at his fan Elo Raider, which is baseball references, um, uh, list of the the best players as voted on by the fans in a very uh, somewhat complicated system. Uh, Randy Wynn is the 751st greatest player in baseball history. And that's awesome. Not bad. That is not bad. But here's my question for you. In 2005, he was named the September Player of the Month. They have the <laughs> list of awards. Sure. Where is that award in his house? That's a great question. First of all, I don't know what it looks like. Is it a trophy or a pla- it's probably a plaque? I right? think it's a plaque, but it might be. It might have a little trophy, like a plaque with a trophy, like on the end of it or something. I think if it's a plaque, it's up in like the den of his of his like office-y area. Okay. Okay. Uh, and he at least once, like I don't know if he's married, but let's say he's married and has kids. At one point, at some night, his wife and the kids were off somewhere, and he poured himself a nice. <laughs> glass of scotch and he sat down on a big overstuffed leather chair and he stared at his plaque for being September player of the month in 2005 and he thought to himself I have had a great life (laughs) for one month I was the best player in the best baseball league that the world has ever seen or ever will see I was an all-star I played for all these great teams I made 42 million I what a great life I have that's that's how I like to imagine Randy I love that idea but I will say if I was ever a winner of a monthly award for the best player in the national league that's going on my front door. I mean, there's people are not missing that. Yeah. Cause that's, that's real. That's like something real. Well, that's, yeah. It's, it's just also the perfect way to remember Randy Wynn's career. It's like that, <laughs> like he was not a hall of fame player, but he was very good at baseball and he was the 751st best player of all time. <laughs> and he, I, I, I would, I would be sad if Randy Wynn didn't have that plaque up in his office somewhere. Yeah, that would make sense. that's that's how I feel about it. I, I totally agree with you. Well, there you go. So we, we actually went through the entire ballot. It took us two days, but we went through the entire. It took us ballot. two days and like three hours. Oh my gosh, who's going to listen to this? I don't know. Who, no one. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I really think if you listen to this, if you're here at the end and you hashtag us, we'll get you something. We'll just yeah. just hashtag us. Uh, made it to the end, and uh, or Randy Wynn is awesome. I think that's your hashtag. <laughs> Randy Wynn is awesome, uh, and I don't know what By we'll the way, do. It should, it should be noted. Disclaimer here. For I don't know how long have we been doing this on and off three years or yeah, something three or four years we, yeah we've been promising that we would send people <laughs> things if they hashtagged us for three or four years and we've never once done it in fact we've never come close to doing it we've we never, thought about it once we thought about it once but we keep promising that if people do certain things that's we're probably committing fraud yeah we are you we, can't we're... keep promising people that you're going to send them things if they do certain things and then not doing it and not only not doing it but not ever really even considering doing can we, it. Can we just retweet them? Maybe would they, would they like that? I don't know. But then there's going to be a bunch of people who follow you and they see a bunch of hashtags that say Randy Wynn is awesome or something. Yeah, it's, that's a good point. They're all going to unfollow you. <laughs> that's, that wouldn't be a bad thing actually <laughs> as, as we look at it. So, All right. Well, as always, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.